0: Good evening. Um, So I've recently returned. I was from meditation retreat. I was on a retreat uh, in April and uh, I know many people here have sat retreats and will know that um, they can be really um, sweet and wonderful and beautiful and very pleasant and they also can be really uh, very, very difficult and challenging. And um, when I was there, the first couple of weeks were um, and I know some of you either in daily life practice or perhaps in retreats may have experienced this yourself where the mind can just be radiant and very blissful. And you get to see how beautiful the mind can be sometimes. And this was going on for maybe the first couple of weeks. And I had thought, well, you know, if it stays like this, you know, that'd be great. And, um, of course, things change. And so after about the first couple of weeks, I got a, uh, a neighbor who moved in. I was staying at a center where uh, uh, on the East Coast where it's just a, it operates year round. It's not a set retreat schedule. So people kind of come and go. Um, it, you know, for people are practicing different periods of time. So I got a new neighbor who moved downstairs and um, uh, was he was the uh, noisiest neighbor I would ever had. Uh, literally in any retreat I'd ever had, he was just banging around, talking out loud in his room. You know, this is Silent Retreat Center. one point, he started singing. <laughs> that lasted only about a day. I was about to, i you know, I would have asked them to talk to him about that, probably. But, you know, and so I'm sitting up there, and it was interesting just to watch that, you know, definitely, um, you know, I would go through phases where it'd be, you know, Don't you know you're singing out loud in the retreat center and, you know, that you're banging around and what's the matter with you? know, I was really more nasty than that, probably. And um, and the thing is, it was actually completely silent almost the whole time. But just a few times during the day for just a few minutes, it would come enough to really uh, come up enough to annoy me. What I started to notice is I was, uh, you know, I had gotten enough mindfulness, enough uh, concentration to start to pay attention and to notice that sometimes, just as I said, you know, that he would make noise and I would be agitated. But there were other times when the sound would come, didn't disturb me at all. Just I, I wasn't agitated. I was just peaceful, still, just Mindful, awake, clear, sitting in this place. And, you know, just the sound would come and go. And then some other time I would get annoyed. And what I started to notice is that actually wasn't the sound bothering me. Um, it was my mind that was bothering me. Uh, and so that made a real interesting shift to start to get more interested in not so much um, uh, the experiences I was having, but how the mind was relating or reacting to various things that was going on. And so as I was paying more attention to that and I started to notice how much of my own thoughts were some version of um, how am I doing? Some worry or comparing with someone else, judging, criticizing myself, others. Just, it was all about Some, it was all about how, am I okay? And I started to really notice just how much. I don't feel like normally I wouldn't particularly say that I tend to do that a lot, but I was really noticing um, it's a lot, (laughs) you know, really just seeing how much my mind does that. In Theravada Buddhism, as many of you know, there's a model uh, that's called four stages of enlightenment. Some of us might adhere to that model. Some of us may not. Um, and in that particular model, that judging, comparing mind is said not to go away till the very last fourth stage of enlightenment. So it's not that you know, we don't want to be too hard on ourselves because even in that model, uh, you know, you can be in the third stage of enlightenment and, and, and you haven't completely gotten free of the, of the judging mind. But it was just kind of shocking. It's, this isn't anything new. I don't know why I should be shocked, but to really see how much that was going on and how much suffering is just created in my own mind. Just as, I, I think it's just a habit of mind. And then it sort of carried with me as I came uh, home. And I happened to be going through a phase in life where um, I don't really have much to complain about. And I think, like, I, think I feel safe in saying... Um, I don't think there's anyone here that I know well, although there are some people here I know to varying degrees over the years, so I think the people here, but no one I know well., yeah, I feel very safe in saying uh, every one of us um, knows a lot about suffering. Um, in fact, I don't think we really need the Buddha uh, to tell us about suffering. We could use some help on what to do about it. But uh, we all are really experts about suffering. And so I've been through plenty in my life. I uh, I just happen, and I'm actually thankful that I just happen to be going through a phase right now where I really don't have anything I should complain about. And to notice how much my mind is complaining. (laughs) And, you know, again, how much my mind suffering. great Just just a couple of nights ago, I was getting ready to go to bed. And I meant to bring something in from the car that I needed. Oh, my toothbrush. I had had it, whatever, something. And I was all ready to go to bed. And I remembered, and I said to my wife, it was a little cold. I didn't want to go. I just went, oh, so it was just a little niggling. It wasn't big, but just like, oh, man, I got to, yeah, I was just complaining. I got to uh, She says, what are you complaining about? I got to go out to the car and get, she said to me, well, be thankful you live in a neighborhood where um, it's safe to go out at night to your car and get something, which really shifted my consciousness. I really appreciate she keeps me... Um... <laughs> 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 but anyway, um, so that made a real shift. And then once again, it just was kind of a little wake-up to notice. Once again, at this particular juncture... I don't have anything really to complain about. Life's actually going just great right now. And you know what? The mind's gonna. My mind is just gonna find something. It's, it's as little as. It's not that big of a deal, but it just kind of shows the tendency of just. You know, I just gotta walk out of the car when I think I want to go to bed, and it's going on. You know, damn it, I have. You know, so. So I've been sort of noticing these things more, and I don't know if it's that my mind's getting worse, or maybe I'm just. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah, she's been meditating 37 years. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> edit that piece out, please. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> or maybe, <laughs> but,
0: uh, or maybe just noticing more, you know, of uh, things. So I was reflecting on this, um, because, um, Um, someone recently asked me uh, who he's been practicing. I'm not sure how long, but some period of time. I'm not sure what he, he just said he's been practicing. So I don't know what he means by practice, but I'm I'm guessing some form of, maybe some kind of formal meditation practice or other what I'd call Dharma practices. When When I use the term practice, I include many, many things, not just a formal sitting practice, although I think the formal sitting practice is a, it was a big deal and important. And he was just kind of marveling, saying, you know, that how much his life had shifted. And, you know, he still has his struggles and his difficulties, but um, suffering a lot less in at least certain areas of his life than he had. And I was wondering, what is it about this practice? How does it do that? It was kind of magic. Why doing this simple kind of practices does it make a real shift? And so I was reflecting on that a little, and so what I wanted to do is um, offer up a few thoughts about that, and then hopefully we'll have some time left for for some discussion or questions or whatever so I think that this practice starts to make the shift on how how we suffer and leading to a freedom from suffering and I was reflecting on three different ways and there may be others also. One way, which is I think the most commonly thought of or obvious way is that we're just start to train the mind and learn how to just cool down, settle down, or you know, calm down more. Right? It's a skill. So it's just it can be as simple as um, if we're agitated, and it's amazing how, you know, it's kind of a cliche, we'll take, take two or three breaths, deep breaths. Well, it does have a calming effect. It may not, something as simple as that may not uh, work all the time, but just something as simple as that is a learning how to just kind of calm down in a situation, if we can remember to do it. None of these practices are hard to do, none of these teachings are difficult. It's remembering to do it that's difficult. It's the remembering that's difficult. And that strengthens, too. We naturally remember more and are awake more and less on automatic pilot more as we strengthen that habit of mind. So um, that's a first skill. And for some um, types of meditation, that's really, it's not true in Vipassana, but uh, in some uh, types of meditation, that's the whole. what the whole meditation is, is just getting... You might use the term concentration. That's actually this book you were talking about, Samadhi, that I'm working on. That term Samadhi, if we generally translate it as concentration, which is an important piece. And it's an important skill. And if we did nothing else but just gain some skill in being able to stabilize the mind or calm down more, if you will, become more tranquil, that would be a lot. A second way that I think just doing these simple practices, even if we're not aware of it, uh, makes a big shift, is um, that then we also can start to learn to become less reactive. And it can be discouraging sometimes if we have been practicing a long time and we still see those tendencies of mind to be reactive that still hang on and hang on and hang on. Right. Um, actually, another thing is I'm doing all this kind of disclosing, all this stuff. When I, actually, when I came back from the retreat that I was just talking about, so I was sitting for a month. You know, I'd really gotten it was very, you know, it was a month you can get very deep in some of these meditative states and all this kind of stuff. I think the day after I came home, I was taking something out of the refrigerator and it was kind of some. I think it might have been a tomato sauce. Yeah, my wife had made this tomato sauce thing and it slipped out of my hand in the kitchen. The whole thing just kind of went splat. And, you know, up on the counter to the tomato sauce, you know, it's not that big of a deal. And I think I said something like, oh, damn, you know. And my wife looked at me and said, um, and she does this very loving, so it wasn't. (laughs) And said, uh, well, we see the results of your month of uh, intensive meditation practice, you know. First day back, a thing drops out of my head and just a habit. And, of course, it just came out of my mouth. damn. And then, um, you know, it's like not that big of a deal, and you kind of recover. So, the, so these conditioned patterns in the mind, now, everybody's mind may not work this way. I'm kind of sharing a little about my mind. You know, you'll each have your own places where you get hooked. It's different for all of us. But it's just an example of, you know, the patterns in there, like, it's not really that big a deal to drop it. And as soon as she said that, I was like, you know, just clean it up. And that's not that I wasn't rushing out the door or whatever, but... Um, it just goes to show that how, how strong the, the pattern. So we want to be careful and, uh, uh, not to beat up on ourselves and to judge ourselves. And in fact, I think um, for me, the foundation of all, sometimes the foundation of the uh, dharma is considered sila, which is uh, morality. For me personally, I think underneath that is a, uh, even another level, which I would call the... Um, a compassion piece as a real foundation to start with. And then we can build on top of that the morality and the meditation and everything. So we don't want to beat ourselves up because that we all have our places where um, we're reactive or we get hooked in. And at the same time, we can start learning just automatically. It happens in we we, those areas where we are also at the same time less reactive. We could say a lot more about that. So that's the second way where I think... Um, it just starts, we start to become more free or happier or suffer less. And then a third way that I think this practice works is um, just by becoming more aware of these tendencies in ourselves. And the way I think of it is we start to see the, these conditioned or habitual patterns of our minds. Um, those knots, those tangles, those uh, patterns start to loosen, so start to unknot uh, in some way. I don't know how that happens, but it seems like, Gil sometimes uses the term self-liberation of every, you know, sometimes saying self-liberate, when sometimes there's something that hadn't been seen or noticed, and then when we become aware of it, maybe it's not gone forever, but sometimes there is a letting go or release that can happen, and we become less reactive, Right? So just perfect example. Thinking back to these examples I was giving on retreat, once I became aware of um, my noisy namer and started to notice the times when the mind was really caught up and angry or reactive, and the times when it just stayed perfectly at peace, it just opened up a lot, and pretty much I just it just flowed very smoothly. That just wasn't a problem anymore. You know, it, it still could have been, but it just happened that it just wasn't. When I started to notice more about how much how how much of the activity of our minor thoughts was around sort of in relationship to others how I'm doing, you know either well, that yogi doesn't look like they're practicing Barry, you know i'm or. Wow, they just, I, you know, they just showed up three days ago and they look so deep in and I'm, you know, whatever my judging and comparison is or just, you know, am I OK, how am I doing? You know, um, it started. To, I started to hold it. First, I wasn't even aware of it, wasn't noticing it. So it was not a problem. Then I started to notice it and it was like, oh, man, this is really a lot. And then to start to see uh, as the compassion piece and the awareness and just to kind of let go around it and hold it a little more softly and gently. And have more space around it. And then everything kind of relaxed, including the worrying about how I'm doing in comparison to others. So just that light of awareness can uh, bring a lot. Um, So the last piece I wanted to say is then um, a few things about uh, how we might um, work with those three aspects uh, just in our daily life. Um, you know, here we are, none of us are on retreat. We're all, whatever daily life is for each of us. And even for, you know, many people don't sit retreats and uh, it's certainly not necessary. Um, You may or may not be drawn to it. Um, But certainly everyone here was drawn to, you know, come to a Dharma group. Some of you, I think, are, you know, very long time practitioners. There might be people here who are, brand new and just checking it out maybe uh, for the first time so but even for, for for you you know you at least had the part of you that was kind of interested to see oh it's a meditation was this Buddha center something drew you to come and so for all of us we're interested in this and how we can apply it in our daily lives um, which I think is much more important and, and for me personally much more interesting than how we can do it uh, on retreat Um and that's not to diminish retreats. I think that they're really great and important um, and powerful. But really, I think over time, it's the, it's the daily application that I think goes much further and deeper. Uh, personally, I really do. And I'm big on retreats. But um, if I had to choose between only doing one or the other, um, I would certainly stick with uh, some with daily life practice, whatever that looks like for each of us. So... Um, if I, were, if I were looking to apply it into daily life practice, I would apply this in... I thought of the three ways I would apply it, and I realized it's actually the three categories of the Eightfold Path. I hadn't thought of that ahead of time, which is uh, the morality, the calming of the mind, and the insight piece. Some of you might be new and have, maybe don't know what the Eightfold Path is, so we won't get into it, but except to say that um, some of you have heard this you know, a thousand times... But the eightfold path is um, the Buddha laid out a path of practice that had eight elements to it, and they're and they're they're grouped into three groups, and so the first group, which is the 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 word in Pali is Sila, which is generally translated as morality, which can be a triggering word for people sometimes because it uh, can feel like there's some judgment around morality. But basically, it's it's um, it's not being hard on ourselves or judging ourselves or beating ourselves up, but it's it's uh, out of just great love and care and compassion, um, finding ways, skillful ways to live and act and be that we create less suffering for ourselves and others and we create more happiness and well-being for ourselves and others. And so we have precepts, you know, live, trying to not kill and not harm and not stealing and things like this that we talk about. I don't want to go off too much in the precepts here. Being wise and careful around how we use our sexuality so we don't create more suffering uh, with our speech. Things like this uh, with intoxicants. So um, I know many people take it very seriously and some people um, really... uh, Oh, and I want to say it's not really so much about how uh, well or how poorly we're living up to some ideal we have around the precepts. It's mostly um, our intention to to apply these these precepts into our lives um, the best we can. And then, of course, none of us are perfect, so we'll have times when we um, maybe act in a way that's not so skillful or does cause suffering. And then, Okay, we learn. We start to say, oh, I got caught again. Oh, I said that again. Or I acted in this way again. Rather than beating ourselves up, um, which we can fall into, just to feel um, uh, what was the effect. And then to learn and just have some compassion for ourselves and then sincerely move forward. Um, someone was telling me they heard a talk by a Tibetan Lama just a few weeks ago who said that, who carries around a little journal, and he said that. He told me that the Lama, every two and a half hours, and I'm not sure what what the significance of two and a half hours is, every two and a half hours would stop and reflect on the the past two and a half hours. And how was he doing in relationship to the precepts? And then he would make some notes and kept a journal that way, which, I mean, it was impressive to me. Um, So you may or may not want to do something like that. Um, It may be. Something like I know there are people who uh, when they get up in the morning, they'll just take a, f- a few moments or a few minutes just to reflect on the precepts, for example, and take an intention, maybe chant the precepts. Um, and if any of you are interested, it's, it's easy. to I'm sure IMC has copies of precepts around you can get maybe reflect on them, maybe just review in their mind, set an intention before, you know, it can be as simple as that. Or we may not do anything formal about that, but just starting to, you know, be as aware as we can during the day, especially when we notice that something's a little off and maybe we're not feeling so great, you know. Uh, you know, it doesn't pass. Maybe it's as simple as it uh, doesn't pass the gut check, right? Oh, that feels a little off. No, I'm not going to do that. So, so anyway, that's one way that we can start to apply these um, Second way around learning how to um, get more calm and quiet, learn how to chill out or cool out, um, is doing some kind of practices, which is what we're doing this evening, for example, of just strengthening that quality of mind. And I realize it's, it's often um, very challenging to, to uh, find time in life, even in the best of circumstances, um, you know, to set aside time, maybe to do something like a silent meditation period or something. It could even be just a few minutes, but oftentimes it's, it's real challenging. And so, uh, you know, we just do the best we can. We don't want to create, we don't want to beat ourselves up. And it's very, very common. I bet we won't take the time to do this, but I bet you if we went around this room and people were really honest and we asked everybody, there would be a lot of people here. I mean, I've certainly been there many times in my life, but there'd be a lot of people here who were suffering... Because they're so dissatisfied about how they want their meditation practice to be compared to how it is. It's real common because let's just be honest about it. It's not an easy thing to do for most of us. Just So one of the things, first of all, we, we want to be more aware that we're not creating more suffering as part of the path towards ending suffering. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. So... You know, and it reminds me of the old, of some of you I look around, are definitely too young to remember this, but some of you will remember this. That I think it was the late 60s and the early 70s, there was this um, sign, of, it was a poster of Meher Baba, who was an Indian guru, you know. And there was a lot of love associated with him, and it showed a big picture of him smiling, and then the, and then the it just printed, all it said was, don't worry, be happy. You remember that? Don't worry, be happy with Mihir Baba. And, of course, it was very sweet, and everybody loved the Baba and all that. And um, I used to look at that, and I thought, and I would think, well, you know, I mean, that's, that's really nice. It's a little kind of, it's not that deep, you know, but, you know, it's nice. And as I reflect back, I actually think, um, really, I think that's the whole Dharma, in a sense. <laughs> You know really, the implications if you think about the implications of don't worry and be happy, I really think you could pack out unpack every list of the Buddha, everything I think could be found there really if you took it for so I have a lot of appreciation for that so if we and i have actually it's something that i I actually think about from some time when I notice how much I am worrying and I'm not happy, you know, so just to make a little shift there, the best we can um The best we can, which is not always so easy, you know, depending on our circumstances. There are going to be circumstances that are going to be very challenging for all of us. And, you know, you know, to say, well, don't worry or be happy. And it's easy to say, but maybe not so easy to do. So we want to acknowledge that and acknowledge the places where it really is too much for us and we're suffering. And, you know, it'd be nice to let go around this, but (laughs) it's too much. We all know that very well, right? I mean, all I need is to drop the spaghetti sauce. You know? But seriously, so we want to make sure that we're very, very kind to ourselves. And then from that place of not judging and beating up ourselves, the best we can, we start to move in a, in a positive direction. We do the best we can. Right? And so if you can find some times to set aside, it could be five minutes, one minute, one minute. I mean, literally, it could be three breaths. And if you can start to remember a little bit, you come to a group like this, right? And you sat and did it. And sometimes you come here, and if you haven't been practicing much, you know, 45 minutes can be rough. Right? It could be great, too. It's, it depends on if you're having a right a pleasant time or an unpleasant time, probably. So we can start to do the best we can to just learn practices to help us calm down. And the third piece, which is the wisdom or the insight piece, is as we start to calm down a little bit and start to apply mindfulness, we naturally start to become more aware of things that maybe we hadn't seen before. It doesn't have to be any dramatic thing. And everywhere we start to be a little more aware. And, And I would like to invite everyone just for a moment, just to reflect back. Again, this is a thing that I feel very... I don't feel any risk doing this at all, even though I don't know anyone here well. And that is, I'll bet every one of us can... Think back to some time in your life, some area of your life where you really suffered a lot. Maybe it was, you know, whatever, you know, teen angst or or self-esteem or I don't know, just some area of your life. That if you look at it now, you're not suffering around that particular thing like you used to. Maybe you're not totally free of it, right? If you can't find anything, you know I'd be happy to, you know, talk to you, you know, about. Because <laughs> I'll bet you, if we really can think back, we can see it. You know what? That's a real liberation that you can see here and now. You don't have to end up someday when you get your practice. Together. That's come from now. How did how did that? How did you get more free around that? I don't know. It may not have been Dharma practice. Who knows what you did? Maybe it's just. The, getting a few more years under your belt. And wisdom comes with that. We learn. Or through some, maybe the therapy or maybe some Dharma practice, whatever it is. But, you know, we can look and see that things can start to shift. That comes just through the wisdom piece. So the more we uh, apply in that way, it's naturally going to, we're just naturally, sometimes we don't even notice because it happens. I know Gil used to always say this image of filling a drop of bucket. He's got this poem. He says, "Of drop by drop, the, you've probably heard i don't know but, you know, it's true. Right? Each little drop, but it really does kind of, eventually over the years, fill things up, and and oftentimes what happens is is that, uh, and I think it's one of the traps I've talked about this here before. One of the traps that we fall into is that people think, oh, you know, if I really make progress, that I'm I don't know we're going to enter that this meditative state that we're in, and it's just always like that. You know, then I am really, it's not like that. Right? Not that those meditative states aren't important and don't have a place. What's happening is it's untangling those knots where we, get, where we create suffering, where we get caught in, in the judging critical reactivity and some relationship between self and other and all these different ways that the mind creates suffering. Right? And so those conditioned patterns start to loosen and so what ultimately this is about is not creating any particular state, but it's about loosening the conditioned habits of mind. And so when you reflect and judge um, if you're making any progress, the problem is, is that you can't see your conditioning. You can't see it. All right. Try to take a minute, a few moments. You can't You can only get to it indirectly when you bump up against some experience. And then you see how the mind acts or reacts. Then we can get, get sort of indirect view about how our mind's condition. So that's the way we can start to see how just by doing these practices, and it's the answer back to that man's question, you know, of how does this work? And, you know, I actually don't know the how, but somehow it seems that as we become more aware and calm, and everything, the mind, you know, does become more free. <coughs> anyway, so um, uh, we have a few minutes. Um, if anybody has any comment or a question, would you know? Fine
2: too. Um, you said something about having a little ritual you can do. Um, yeah. That that uh, the the habit of doing that can can be useful um, and, and uh, just to take off on that um, for two years I was part of a uh, a small peer led group kind of like a Kalyana Mitta group and um, met once a week and um, one of the things we did was to chant the uh, refuges and precepts the five refuges and precepts for lay people in alternating Pali and English and just doing that once a week Every week uh, was uh, it really had a very power powerful effect. It's even just that and it only takes a couple of minutes can really tend to uh, ingrain the feeling of those precepts in you. And uh, uh, and even as I was thinking about telling this, I thought, well, what if? It, how much more powerful it would be to do something every day? Maybe refuges and precepts. One day and do a little, couple minutes of meta practice. Another day, something every day of the week. So um, that's fine. My, my thought.
1: So since you're writing a book on samadhi, can I can ask you a question about samadhi. Yeah. Um. In, so in sort of in Buddhist circles, I've heard it. Um, used to refer to pretty ordinary states of concentration. And then I know that in other traditions, it gets used to mean like a much much more rarefied states. And even in some traditions, it seems like it's used interchangeably with, within, with awakening. Um, so I'm wondering, um, it's, it's, sometimes it sounds like when it gets used in that former way that it's a bit that it's not exactly what the Buddha meant when he said Samadhi. So I guess yeah. in general, what's your definition? And then also is specifically with re- regard to the Eightfold Path.
0: Yeah. Um, so um, I'll come back to the Eightfold Path in a moment. But in this, the word Samadhi is sort of different traditions talk in different ways. Um, but um, in the in Theravada Buddhism, in the Pali tradition where you know our practice comes out of, um, uh, the word samadhi refers to a range of levels of concentration, if you will. If you use it. Basically, the word samadhi just means a like coming together or bringing together, collecting, unifying of the mind, and so concentration is part of it. Uh, so, and then there's a lot of different types of, of samadhi. There could be uh, that you could get into. So it's not just one thing. Um, so even a little bit of concentration actually there were um, there were a few places where the term is even used to refer to some types of concentration that, that would be um, wrong concentration also so there's a few places in there where so but mostly then um, it referred to it to um, it does refer to all levels of concentration and then in the Eightfold path um, uh, you know that the, the, we talk about each of the elements is there's starts with the word right. That's just been an English right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right mindfulness, right samadhi, right concentration. Uh, right and, and I mean right effort, right samadhi, right concentration. That word right, it's not right or wrong. It's it's not a good translation. Probably uh, wise or skillful might be a, a better translation, but. Um, uh, in the text, the Buddha said explicitly that in that meaning, that's a very specific meaning, he was talking about a, a special level of concentration called jhana. And he says that explicitly. Um, and then there's a whole big thing about, well, what's jhana? It's not clear. It's, it's a, it, that's many, many uh, different types of uh, meditative states are interpreted as jhana. So it's, it's a huge topic. It's, is that... I'm kind of, That's really helpful. Thank okay. you. Yeah. Could you say that that form of concentration could be used, like, from the moment you get up and you shower, and you concentrate on your shower, and then you're shaving, and brushing your teeth, putting your clothes on, making yeah. your bed and throughout the day, you know, with what you're working right. with, yeah. and just breathing at the same time, focusing yeah. on your breathing and the task at hand, yeah. and that could be a form by yeah. being spiritual, spiritual thing, by... Right. Just taking care of oneself yeah and so what you'd be doing there is two things which is probably uh is highly recommended for all of us if we could, if we can remember to do it and that would be you'd be bringing the mindfulness which is probably the, the single most important aspect of all the mindfulness is the knowing of what's happening and then you know the concentration is the piece that's that's actually the stability where the mind doesn't wander so much so you're knowing what's happening in a moment and able to stay in the present moment without wandering off so much. So bringing us a little concentra- concentration, but a little presence might be a better word, with the mindfulness. And really that's was the recommendation of the Buddha is to bring the mindfulness in as much as we can without stressing about it. And the important thing is, so that would be great. The important thing also is, is and I don't think you particularly are saying this, but definitely there are people who really get kind of stressed about all right, you know, no fooling around today. I'm really going to be mindful. And then, you know, next thing you know, three hours later, you kind of wake up off of automatic pilot and go, oh, yeah, I, what happened? I said I was going to be mindful, right? So we don't have the support of the the concentration part. not strong to support it so we can wander off. So, and actually, I would just add that um, it's really um, important uh, – don't worry about if you're lost on automatic pilot almost the whole time because, um, first of all, you, there's nothing you can do about it.
1: <laughs> but I'm,
0: I'm not going for a laugh, I'm saying. <laughs> there's nothing you can do. And um, something I've said here before, so some of you have heard this, but um, many of you probably haven't, but it's just a question of think think about uh, in the... Um, just if For those of you who have had formal meditation instructions, so maybe, for example, you're working with the breath, right? Just be with the breath. And then there's an instruction we give when the mind wanders off. right? What's the instruction when, when you've gotten lost in thinking or whatever? What's the instruction? Right, right. That's instruction. Actually, that's the instruction once you've woken up and realized you've been gone. When you're lost, there is no instruction. You don't even know you're gone, right? <laughs> So it's not a problem. (laughs) I mean, it certainly can make problems because when we're and here's the whole piece um, and then we're going to need to end um, that um, when we're on automatic pilot, we don't have any freedom or choice because we're just lost in things. And so. We're just acting or reacting depending on the habitual condition patterns of our minds. If the habitual patterns of our minds are kind of free, and we're, it's not a problem. We'll just act in ways. Of, but the places where it's like when I dropped the, the tomato sauce, right? It was a moment of just going unconscious in the habitual pattern of, you know, oh, damn, or whatever came, right? And that, that's a, kind of a simple example. So... Yes, it can get us into problems, but my suggestion is, is like, don't worry about that. And then just, do, once again, doing the best you can when you can remember. With, so we don't stress about it. Bring the mindfulness back. Do some you know, concentration or whatever type practices. And then it will naturally grow so we are spaced out less and less. And that's all. And, it's, and then we, it really goes back to that don't worry, be happy kind of uh, Meher Baba thing, I think. All right. Um, Anyway, so we need to end. And I see it's just literally about two minutes till. So we're going to, maybe I just do a little short, uh, one or two minute uh, sharing of uh, merit. So I would like to invite you to just take a moment and to reflect that you have, that. All of us, we've all used our time wisely together this evening. Each one of us. It may or may not have felt that way to you, but, you know, we've come here together and taken time to meditate, uh, to at least, regardless of how concentrated you wanted to be or thought you should be, taking, taking, at least practicing, directing the mind, you know, in the direction of being more mindful and, and, and more present and more awake and then to reflect on you know, we, uh, uh, some Dharma topics, and that we could have done anything this evening, but, but each of us chose to come um, to this Dharma center that is only about one thing, coming to a, a liberation, a freedom, an awakening for ourselves and others. It's about wisdom, love, and compassion. That's what it's about, and so that's what we all chose to do. So we've all used our time wisely together this evening. And so first to just reflect on that and not in an egotistic way or judging and comparing, but really just to have some appreciation for that. It may not have been a conscious intention, but that you on some level, you had that intention to do that. And then to realize that any time we practice in this way, that we strengthen these qualities in ourselves. It's a tremendous benefit uh, to ourselves and others. And in fact, it's uh, literally not possible to practice for ourselves alone. That any time we strengthen these wholesome qualities in ourselves, it certainly affects all those that we interact with, at the very least. And so we can make that more conscious. And so to end, let us just offer up, um, it could be as a wish, an intention, a prayer, that if there's been any... um, Good qualities, wholesome qualities, or we could say if there's been any merit uh, obtained or generated by our time together this evening, uh, let us offer it up, may it be for the benefit and liberation of all beings. Wishing um, may all beings everywhere be peaceful and happy and safe, and may all beings everywhere come to an end of suffering so uh, thank you all tonight I was happy to be able to come and uh, practice with you